0: Morning Glory America, it's Hugh Hewitt. Evening Grace, if you're listening on tape delay or on podcast, welcome to the last radio hour of the week, which means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. More often than not with Dr. Larry Arn as it is today, president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale available at Hillsdale.edu. All of our dialogues over the last four years available at Hugh4Hillsdale.com. I encourage you to take the online courses at Hillsdale.edu and to binge listen the Hillsdale Dialogues with Dr. Arne and his colleagues on the Hillsdale faculty. Larry Arne, last night after listening to Hillary Clinton's speech and being on TV talking about it, I did what any sensible person should do. I reread chapter four. In your magnificent book, Churchill's Trial, Winston Churchill and the Salvation of Free Government, on uh, titled The Strategist, about Churchill at war, and came away with these questions. Does Donald Trump have a strategic vision? Does he have the re- rhetoric and the ability to uh, communicate that vision? Could he actually bring allies onto the field, as Churchill said, can be sometimes as important as winning a battle? And what about Hillary and all those questions? What's your short answer and your long answer to that?
1: Well, first of all, let me begin by cursing you because I had to get up this morning and watch Hillary Clinton's speech. <laughs> <laughs> I read it and I watched it. So that's hard duty. I ought to be getting paid by the hour here. But um um yeah, so does he have a strategy? Well, he he the, he, he has some, there's something really interesting about what he says about foreign policy, and that is that he wants to begin thinking about foreign policy by beginning thinking about what's good for the people of the United States. And they all say that, Hillary Clinton said it in her speech, but he is insistent about it with a different intensity than anybody else has had. And if you just think about what Churchill believed, Churchill believed this simple problem occurs today. We run these liberal societies. People are supposed to be free. Assets are supposed to remain in their pockets and yet war is all consuming you can convert a whole nation to war we've done it twice in american history a uh, whole nation to military pursuits it goes on for years and churchill's view was you very much want to avoid that if you if you have to do it you have to do it but anytime you do it's a failure uh, Churchill called the second World War where he won his fame and glory the unnecessary war and he thought the great failure was not to get ready in time and prevent it Trump talks like that and uh, he he wants to protect the country uh, uncomforted sometimes Trump you know one he, he used in his foreign policy speech which I think was very good America first as a is a theme and that that harks back to the nineteen late twenties and early thirties, to a movement in America that was isolationist and didn't want to get involved in the Second World War. But Trump praises our involvement in the Second World War, and he likes that phrase. It is actually a really good phrase because it is how you would start thinking about strategy. So, answer is: Does he have one? The making's one. Oh, also Churchill. Uh, Churchill. Sorry, we're talking about Churchill. Trump is consistent in saying that we need to actually get the substance of the military, and the military is the basis of foreign policy. That is just a fact. uh, uh, If that is weak, you will not be taken seriously in the world.
0: Now, let me if it is weak, it, we won't be. But here's how Hillary let's dive right in and, and great on the ears of our audience as well. Since I asked you to be ready for this, the key claim in her speech is this one. Cut number three.
2: Donald Trump's ideas aren't just different. They are dangerously incoherent. They're not even really ideas, just a series of of bizarre rants, personal feuds, and outright lies. He is not just unprepared. He is temperamentally unfit to hold an office that requires knowledge, stability, and immense responsibility. She
0: expands on that much later, cut number 18.
2: There's no risk of people losing their lives if you blow up a golf course deal. It doesn't work like that in world affairs. Just like being interviewed on the same episode of 60 Minutes as Putin was is not the same thing as actually dealing with Putin. (laughs) So the stakes in global statecraft are infinitely higher and more complex than in the world of luxury hotels. We all know the tools Donald Trump brings to the table, bragging, mocking composing nasty tweets, I'm willing to bet he's writing a few right now. But those tools won't do the trick. Rather than solving global crises, he would create new ones. He has no sense of what it takes to deal with multiple countries with competing interests and reaching a solution that everyone can get behind. In fact, he is downright contemptuous of that work. And that means he's much more likely to end up leading us into conflict. So, Dr. Larry Aron, that is
0: her central claim. And as John Podhoritz wrote yesterday, she will make it repeatedly over the next five months. And it's powerful if it's unrebutted.
1: (laughs) Well. I don't think there's much danger that what she says about Trump is going to go
0: unrebutted. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have said effectively unrebutted. There we go.
1: So, yeah, those are good points, right? So the, the fairest criticism I know of Trump, and I know a few that I regard as fair, the fairest one I know is he would be the first guy elected president as his first public office. And that's his disadvantage, and her advantage is she has vast government experience. But as you said last night on TV, that is also her disadvantage, is it not? And uh, because there are things to say about her claims about her own service, and so he will make he will say those things. And the people will have to decide then between those, you know, because there, there are real differences in her speech and in what between her speech and the substantive things and there are many that he has said about foreign policy and in the end the people are going to have her experience and her claims on the one hand and his inexperience and his claims on the other and that's how they're going to make up their minds let's
0: listen to her claims cut number seven
2: Even if I weren't in this race, I'd be doing everything I could to make sure Donald Trump never becomes president because I believe he will take our country down a truly dangerous path. Unlike him, I have some experience with the tough calls and the hard work of statecraft. I wrestled with the Chinese over a climate deal in Copenhagen brokered a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, negotiated the reduction of nuclear weapons with Russia, twisted arms to bring the world together in global sanctions against Iran, and stood up for the rights of women, religious minorities, and LGBT people around the
0: world. So Larry Arn she wrestled with the Chinese on a climate deal. She negotiated a ceasefire between Hamas and Israel. She got the Russians to uh, to Trump us in uh, the nuke deal, which was very bad for us. She uh, organized sanctions. She protected religious minorities and LGBT. It's a very carefully crafted series of half-truths and outright lies, but it sounds good, doesn't it?
1: Mm. Yeah, it, it does and it doesn't. It depends on whether, you know, the whole Trump phenomenon depends on whether people are, in fact, as they say, Sick to death of all this, and think that the the, the 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 country needs to turn in a new direction, and you you just have to remember, the number of people who say that is always north of sixty percent, and often north of seventy percent. When you and so, she's going to say, "I'm experienced. I've done a great job," and and. You know, you're going you're gonna to have to wonder whether people are going to like that or not. But it, it, remember also, she's, she's saying things that are hallowed uh, uh, tenets of foreign policy, often of both parties. For example, uh, how often, I, I, I defy anybody to find it in a speech by Winston Churchill, do we start out to say, our great national power depends upon our power at home. And then, because Churchill says that all the time, and then what follows is, we, the government's got to spend more money and regulate more stuff, right? And what, what Churchill always follows with, strong, free economy, trading all over the world. Churchill was a free trader, whereas Trump and Lincoln are not. And so her prescription, just if you read the speech and think, what's she going to do? What's in there is the whole regulatory agenda – The whole campaign of addressing the American people in the groups of whom they're part, right? Whereas Trump is really an interesting guy, right? He just talks to the people as the American people.
0: When we come back, uh, probably no speech has used the word statecraft more than Hillary Clinton's speech did yesterday. It's the central chapter in Churchill's trial by Larry Arn, a chapter about statecraft. And we'll talk more about Churchill's trial, Hillary and Trump, when we return to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Twenty two minutes after the hour, America, Hugh Hewitt with Doctor Larry Arne, President of Hillsdale College, the author of a book very important to this campaign season titled Churchill's Trial, Winston Churchill and the Salvation of Free Government. We are talking with Dr. Arne during this Hillsdale dialogue, all of which are collected at Hugh for Hillsdale.com and all the online courses of Hillsdale available at Hillsdale.edu, as is in Primus. Uh, the speech digest of the of the college, which will be provided you completely free if you just sign up for it. Go to Hillsdale edu for that. We are talking about Hillary Clinton's speech yesterday in which strategy and global strategy and strategist and statecraft were mentioned more than perhaps any speech I have heard in a decade. Um, and earnestly so by the former secretary of state making claims about her superiority One of the things she said, Dr. And on page 77 of Churchill's trial, you quote Churchill as saying the maneuver which brings an ally into the field is as serviceable as that which wins a great battle. The maneuver which gains an important strategic point may be less valuable than that which placates or overawes a dangerous neutral. And then Hillary kind of went after him on this point yesterday by talking about how he will be very, very bad for our allies. Cut number 14.
2: It is no small passing thing when he talks about leaving NATO or says he'll stay neutral on Israel's security. It's no small thing when he calls Mexican immigrants rapists and murderers. We're lucky to have two friendly neighbors on our land borders. Why would he want to make one of them an enemy?
0: So isn't she making the very point that Churchill made?
1: Uh, Yeah, Uh, of course. You know, i hasten to say that we're introducing a different scale of values when we introduce Winston Churchill into the discussion. But, of course, we have to proceed by alliances in a world where we can be struck from abroad in minutes by terrible powers. Of course we do. But then the question is, how do you do that? So here's an example of Churchill making an ally. Uh, Greece and Turkey are in NATO largely because of the personal efforts of Winston Churchill. Because at the end of the Second World War in 43 and 44 and 45, he just wooed and courted them. And made a deal with Stalin so he could get into Greece and suppress the Greek Communist Party. He did all that. How did he woo Turkey? He went to them. He offered them things he gave them things and then he got them involved and then he threatened them sometimes and he pushed them and he said he might go away and leave them alone with the soviet union in other words he was it was a maneuver and it had both carrots and sticks in it and so one thing going on with trump it looks to me like and remember you have to you have to remember trump hillary's right trump hasn't done this but One of the things that it sounds to me like he's saying is something Reagan loved to say in the 80s, and that is, we can't really buy the friendship of other people. We have to demand their respect.
0: Now, last night or yesterday afternoon after the speech I was on with Brian Williams, Dianne Feinstein preceded me. And Brian Williams brought to her attention an article by a man of the left, Frank Rich of The New York Times, that said there's a whole lot of the Ronald in the Donald. Uh, In other words, that Democrats said about Ronald Reagan in 79 and 80 that he was dangerous and a cowboy. And Dianne Feinstein reacted with with outrage and condescension towards Brian Williams. And I came on and said, no, you're absolutely right, Brian. I was there. I, I, I worked for him. They, they used to call him a cowboy. They actually re-ran the Daisy ad in 1984, Walter Mondale trying to make it seem like he was dangerous and unstable. And, uh, and, and it was right. But is is Frank Rich overstating it to make the comparison between Trump and Reagan, even as the way you say, we ought to be careful about introducing Churchill into these arguments? Yeah, well...
1: Trump, uh, Hillary makes the point in this in her speech that Trump took out some ads criticizing Reagan in the 80s, and I had forgotten that if I if I knew it, and I looked up an account of them. I couldn't find the ads. I wish I could. I, I will find them. But uh, what do they say? What they say is some of the things he's saying now. He's saying we are subsidizing our allies in ways that spoils them. And you know, and, and what what was going on in Europe in the eighties? And see I believe Reagan was masterful in his dealing with all of that, but it was a close run thing because nuclear freeze movements everywhere in Europe and people demonstrating against us while we were taking risks that affected their immediate security more than
2: it affected ours.
0: And we'll be right back with Dr. Larry Arn Hillsdale.edu. Hugh, for Hillsdale, the book, Churchill's Trial, I tweeted out earlier. You should be reading it in this campaign especially. Stay tuned. 33 minutes after the Air America, Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue, the last radio hour of the week. I understand from my friend Mike Reed that you had a wonderful crowd in Fort Worth, Texas, Dr. Arn, And I'm glad to hear that as you go about on the road, that you are increasingly met by larger crowds that want to talk about first and serious things. Let me bring two to your attention. Not only did Hillary Clinton assert yesterday that Donald Trump would be dangerous to our allies and to the world order, the lead story at the New York Times at this hour is titled Trump Could Threaten U.S. Rule of Law, scholars say. It's by Adam Liptak, and it quotes, among others, Ilya Shapiro at the Cato Institute, Richard Epstein, who's a, you know, a great legal scholar, David Post, a law professor, retired now, who writes for the Volokh conspiracy, who says this is how authoritarianism starts with the president who does not respect the judiciary. You can criticize the judicial system. You can criticize individual cases. You can criticize individual judges. But the president has to be clear that the law is the law and that he enforces the law. That is his constitutional obligation. You have Randy Barnett, a great law professor at Georgetown, saying you would like a president with some idea about constitutional limits on presidential powers, on congressional powers, on federal powers. And I doubt Mr. Trump has any awareness of such limits. The story does quote Mitch McConnell telling me on Monday that Trump will have a White House counsel. There will be others who will point out there are certain things you can do and you can't do. Quotes McCain as saying there's no problem. The senator from Arizona believes our institutions are strong. But then it goes back to quoting John Yoo and others as saying there are real dangers here in Donald Trump's rhetoric and his attacks. What do you make of all this? Uh,
1: so here's Donald Trump in the in this. I read that article this morning. I don't find this this I'm about to read to you quoted. This is Donald Trump writing in the January 28th Reno, Nevada Gazette. The United States of America is a land of laws, uh, and Americans value the rule of law above all. Why, then, has our Congress allowed the president and the executive branch to take on near-dictatorial power? Then further on, um, he writes... um, He writes, what is needed in Washington is a president who will rein in the executive branch and work with Congress to make sure the legislative branch does its job. What is needed in Washington is a president who has the will, strength, and courage to lead, not beholden to special interest. I will bring the executive branch back inside the Constitution and will work with Congress to put America first. I will lead the effort to gain meaningful tax reforms. Now, I read that article, and it's the Reno Nevada Gazette, uh, January 28th. Look it up. Look up Bureau of Land Management, Trump. And so I got my salutatorian of this year, Jack Shannon. I said, Jack, you got a week. Go find me everything Donald Trump has said about these things. And he finds quotes back to 2000 where Trump consistently says that Congress has to make the laws, not the bureaucracy, and the president should enforce only those. So... The point is, I, don't un- I can't figure out why people don't talk about that. And, you know, you can make the case that Trump, because of his manner, because he places himself in the center of everything, because he says he's going to fix it. You can say that this is a guy who doesn't talk enough about the Constitution, but he does talk a lot about it and constitutionally, especially as regards executive power.
0: So that is our second question. Um uh, curiosity. We have Hillary Clinton attacking him for being dangerous when, in fact, she has failed. Then we have the New York Times attacking him for being um, authoritarian and a danger to constitutional law when he has spoken on behalf of it. And then we come to the third. Uh, people worried about free speech and Donald Trump. And yet, last night in San Jose, uh, Sanders and Clinton supporters attacked, physically shut down, uh, punched, beat, threw eggs at Trump supporters. And in last week's New Yorker. There is a story about American education called "The Big Uneasy." A letter from Oberlin, which, if you haven't read, you have to read. Mm. That concludes with this: On February twenty fifth, The Tower dot org published an article that included screenshots from the Facebook feed of Joy Correa, an assistant professor of rhetoric and composition at Oberlin. The post suggested, among other things, that Zionists had been involved in the nine eleven plot. That ISIS was a puppet of Mossad and the CIA, and that the Rothschild family owned your news, the media, your oil, and your government. The post did not sit well with everyone at Oberlin, where weeks earlier a group of alumni and students had written the president with worries about anti-Semitism on campus. The board of trustees denounced the Facebook activities of Correga. As a teacher, ever she'd been involved and beloved by many students, considered an advocate for the school's black undergraduates. The need for allyship became acute. And so was spring approaching students and faculty at one of America's most progressive colleges felt pressured to make an awkward judgment whether to ally themselves with the black community or whether to ally themselves with the offended Jews. Then writes that students at Oberlin wanted trigger warnings attached to Antigone. And it goes through the upsets at Yale, at Claremont McKenna, at Harvard. And, you know, there's this disaster of free speech on the campuses. But people are worried about Trump being the disaster for free speech. Where's the real problem, Larry Arn?
1: Yeah. Trump is uh, busting through a lot of the politically correct codes that are controlling speech in America and control the political debate, because that's what this is about in the end. And you know, I happen to work in a college and what's our rule? We have rules and the rule is basically, and we, we have the same rule that we've had for 173 years. When you talk at Hillsdale College, you're supposed to be academic and civil in the way you go about it. Academic means you have to make serious arguments, and civil means you have to be respectful of the people in the college with you. They are colleagues, which means they are partners with you. And that means, however, that if, if you have a serious argument to make, you're actually obliged to make it and make it in that way. That's, in fact, you go to college to learn to do that so trump breaks through all that stuff and that's one reason why it's it's not the only reason but it's one reason why he sounds uncivil a lot and i will tell you that sometimes in these things that are called incivility from trump i glory in them although sometimes i don't and and that you know that that whole thing that you can't say anything bad just just think the way the foreign policy of the united states is run today Hillary's speech is an appeal to our membership in the international community. Well, I happen to believe that there is no such community. What we have is a very divided world. And so what we might do is side up with the people who are respectful of the rights of their own citizens and who are friends of the United States. And I would put them first. Uh, Trump has been critical of... Some of them, in ways that like Japan, in particular, I would I would be very careful about Japan these days because Japan is close to t- China, and a strong power. So I wouldn't say some of the things Trump says, but this, but but much of the spirit of them, put it that way, much of the spirit of them, is in my opinion just what we need. Isn't it true that the government of the United States works for the people of the United States, one people, and what they should be addressed as one people?
0: It is true, but, but Hillary Clinton has figured out what you just referenced and understands it to be a soft spot in, in the underbelly of Trumpism and, and went after it yesterday. Uh, play Cut 21, if you will, Adam, please.
2: I have to say, I don't understand Donald's bizarre fascination with dictators and strongmen who have no love for America. He praised China for the Tiananmen Square massacre. He said it showed strength. He said you've got to give Kim Jong-un credit for taking over North Korea, something he did by murdering everyone he saw as a threat, including his own uncle, which Donald described gleefully like he was recapping an action movie. And he said if he were grading Vladimir Putin as a leader, he'd give him an A. Now, I will leave it to the psychiatrist to explain his affection for tyrants. I just wonder how anyone could be so wrong about who America's real friends are. Because it matters. If you don't know exactly who you're dealing with, men like Putin will eat your lunch. Dr. <laughs> uh Okay, that's. Uh,
1: You're right. There's legitimacy to that criticism, and there's not complete legitimacy to it. Uh, Strength is a virtue. Uh, Winston Churchill, I hesitate to even mention this, but I will. In 1936, Churchill wrote a profile of Adolf Hitler. Now, there's no sense in any place or time where Churchill was a friend of Adolf Hitler not in 1936, not in the other time. And if you read the essay through, we can put it up on the web if people want to look at it, uh, you will see that what he says is Hitler has arrived at a moment where he has recovered the strength of Germany and restored its self-respect. And now he has a choice to make. Is he going to lead the country to destruction, or is he going to lead it to sanity, civilization, and friendship with free peoples? and he puts that choice to hitler but in that is a legitimate admiration of the fact that germany was in a god-awful mess at the end of the weimar period and hitler has brought it coherence and strength and prosperity so churchill did that and and it depends on how trump argues and a lot depends on how he argues from here because he's about to come under these attacks and we know of him, if past record is any indication, one can have confidence that he is going to respond to these things. And we'll see what he says. His, his, uh, his way emphasizes that we should treat other people as other people, and we should be friends with them when it's in our interest. Uh, and, you know, one should add also that Trump has not gone fist-bumping with Hugo Chavez – as uh, as Obama did, and Trump has not bowed to the king of Saudi Arabia, as Obama did.
0: And he has not done a deal with the Ayatollah Khamenei, and today in the Wall Street Journal. And and, and by the way, Hillary made great glory of her negotiations to bring sanctions to Iran, and today the Wall Street Journal has a story of a man who blew up our embassy in Beirut in, in the 80s, leading the Shia militias, the arms of Khamenei, against the ISIS in the ongoing takeover of the Iraq that Hillary... Clinton superintended our evacuation from.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, her. You know, her her foreign policy. I mean, goodness, Libya, right? It's not just that this thing happened where a bunch of Americans were killed, memorialized in that movie that you like uh, in in Benghazi. It's uh, and and that they weren't helped. It looks like and that she went to bed and all that stuff and wasn't involved. Right. But it's also true that she helped to make that situation in Libya.
0: We came, we saw he died, she said. And, of course, 1,030 people are dead in the med this week because they passed through Libya, failed state, and got on boats from Libyan smugglers and went down. And they're trying to get where 22,000 people had gotten the month before illegally into Italy. Uh, it, it's, it's really remarkable, Dr. On Stand by. I'll, I'll be right back. I want to ask you about unity of command because there is a tension here between... And I want to urge the audience to go get Churchill's trial. I think it is so appropriate to the choice we're staring at and the arguments that Hillary Clinton made yesterday that you really ought to read Dr. Arne's book and listen to all of our conversations about Clinton-Trump that have gone on for weeks and months. I'll be right back with Dr. Larry Arne to wrap up this week's Hugh Hewitt show and the Hillsdale Dialogue. 51 minutes after the hour, America's Hugh Hewitt, last segment of the radio week. I'm talking with Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College, reminding everyone they should be reading Churchill's trial during this trial of a campaign. Dr. Arnn, Two points. Number one, Fraser Nelson is the editor of the British magazine, The Spectator. He's a columnist for the Daily Telegraph. He wrote today, "America is tired of being the world's protector. We have been warned." He doesn't like Donald Trump, but he is saying Trump is playing to a deep chord in America that says we are not carrying our fair share, and we'd better check, do a self-check on that. Uh, he's having an effect, isn't he, on Europe?
1: Oh yeah, and see, we those countries. You know, we don't do them a favor if we take out of their hands their the, the means of their own defense, right? And and we should be mindful. First of all, I'm for the alliances, right? And I believe that they're really grand, and they've been good for the world. But look who we're allied with today, right? Great, massive, bureaucratic, internationally governed countries all over Europe that 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 are enormous regulatory states and that neglect their defense and so wouldn't anybody president of the united states address that point of course they would and one of the maneuvers that you would use in dealing with them is saying look you know why don't you take care of yourselves right do you care about your own security and see here's a point that's worth entering here right it's not possible to do what Churchill did again, exactly, because Churchill was a genius and because the circumstances are different. It's not possible to do what Reagan did again, exactly. One can only think about the principles they, they held and how they implied them in prudential situations and meditate on that and use history as the cheap way to get experience and then make judgments about the circumstances today. And Trump is bringing something very new into American politics, right? There's, in my opinion, there's been too much. Uh, I Sometimes I think there's too little admiration of Reagan, but there's been too much just repeating of his phrases. You have to think through what were the circumstances and how did he apply the principles, and then think about our circumstances today. And try to copy that as best you can.
0: Last question. People are playing on fears of Donald Trump having too much authority. But in the strategist chapter of Churchill's trial, you are right about Churchill insisting on unity of command. He was the servant of the House of Commons. He would submit his regulation on a moment's notice, but he would not allow them to take away one of his two jobs during the war. We have unity of command in America. Dick Cheney was one of its preeminent spokespeople when the commander in chief acts ought we to be worried about that in the context of someone who's never wielded that power before, in any shape or part?
1: Well, uh, first of all, the unity of command point, that Churchill regarded that as a fine, most of his, almost always, almost always. Churchill very much admired the the Constitution of the United States, second only to the British. Sometimes he implied that it had superiority to the British, But one particular aspect was this, it automatically produces something the founders wanted, and that is, when the executive branch acts, especially in regard to questions of war and foreign relations, it has the power to act. It can just go. Now, it's limited by two things, by time, that is to say the president's got to seek election again, and it's limited time. Uh, by Congress, because Congress has got to vote the money and used to have to vote the wars. So there is separation of powers, but the president runs the executive branch himself, and that's a great advantage. And so whoever we're electing, we're electing somebody to do that. That's the nature of the office. And, you know, as we said at the beginning of this, we have a choice between somebody experienced at this and somebody inexperienced, and there are advantages and disadvantages to both
0: positions. And I would encourage people making that choice and thinking it through to go and get Dr. Arne's book, Churchill's Trial. I, I doubt there's a more necessary book and a better read. I want to close today's program with the Navy hymn, a Navy Blue Angel. Lost yesterday, died in the crash of his aircraft in uh, in the United States. So we will salute him, all the pilots in the sky, and we will be back on Monday with the next Hugh Hewitt show.